Welcome to a special episode of Irreverent Testimony brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types. From a left-wing perspective, it is Thursday, February 20th, 2020. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And we have a very special guest, uh, a boomer with us uh, <laughs> that you might have heard of by the name of Greg Dworkin, a regular of the K-Grow in the Morning Show. Greg, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. It's and uh, get off my lawn, please. <laughs> <laughs> Gladly. Uh, it's been uh, about four years since we've talked directly on a podcast. Uh, I've only gotten younger. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, so I hear. And, you know, Greg and I, we talk online and via Twitter and, and all that. But um, now we get to talk, and, and we had a specific reason for having you on. And I'm kind of going to let Rachel take the reins because I think she articulates this little better than than I do yeah I uh, I I asked Travis the other night to ask you to come on because I need someone to explain to me why if y'all make me vote for this man Mike Bloomberg why I do not just leave the Democratic Party as a whole full cloth like I'm a proud Democrat I have been my whole life and if you make me vote for this man which I will do because I have no choice I'm done. I'm out. So I would like to pose that question to you, sir. Why do I not just leave the Democratic Party um, forever if this is my choice? Yes, you 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 are the mock and, surrogate for the Bloomberg campaign, right? And and like, why wouldn't I leave? But okay, right. I get that. I get that. So uh, how much time do I have? <laughs> so much, much time, as much as you want, as much as I want. Because there's some background here to this that I think is really kind of important. And uh, I'm uh, sending uh, Rachel and Travis some links that uh, they can see, but you can't, but I'm just telling you what they are. Uh, And it's some discussion that we're going to have, because you have to set the stage for why Bloomberg is here and what he's doing. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, But let me start with a positive. Okay. The best thing about Michael Bloomberg for all of you people who have been calling Joe Biden <laughs> a pro-business, uh, corporate mm-hmm. uh, centrist, Michael Bloomberg is that and helps put Buttigieg and Biden yeah. in perspective in terms of what they really are. They are so far to the left of Michael Bloomberg that when you call them uh, pro-corporate centrist, you're really talking about Michael Bloomberg, who funnily enough, in an earlier era – would have been considered to be what we used to call Rockefeller Republicans. Now, I'm so old that I remember when Rockefeller was governor, okay? <laughs> and we used to say about him, not me, because my family was like totally blue uh, Democratic, but the line about Rockefeller, which is why he always won, is, look, the guy is too rich to steal. <laughs> and he's the only New York politician you could say that about. So he used to win all of his elections Bloomberg is a Rockefeller Republican or would have been in an earlier era. Even uh, 20 years ago, not 40 years ago, he was a Republican. In fact, he ran New York City as a Republican. Mm-hmm. And he's a Republican now. It's just that he looked around at the primaries and said, well, the only pathway for me is as a Democrat, so that's what I'm going to do. But it, it is helpful uh, to put Biden and people like him in perspective because, you know, just stop with the corporate, you know, uh, right. centrist stuff. Biden isn't. Well, here's what I would say about that. I was thinking about this before we got on this call. Is uh, if nothing else, Mike Bloomberg 
might be the thing that we needed to actually have unity um, in terms of – You mean to unite about him, you know, based on – Right, right. So I was thinking about like Donald Trump, right, and how we looked at our parents and the Republicans as a whole and said like, you guys can't just unite against that guy, right? Like that guy is so bad that just get behind literally anyone else. And I've been nitpicky about Joe Biden and about Bernie Sanders and about Buttigieg, right, for a while. And then this Bloomberg <laughs> motherfucker comes on the scene and I'm like, OK, I'm oh, out. Yeah, maybe like, our other choices aren't so bad, right? Right. Like, I'm yeah. like, I'll give Joe Biden a hug. Mayor Pete can come to dinner. Bernie's <laughs> fine. Like, I well, literally don't care as long as it's not this person. This is our Trump. And can we do better as Democrats than Republicans did and say, OK, we have this clear and very stark choice. It's either Trump or somebody else. And for me, that's what is sort of becoming clear is it's like it's either Bloomberg or literally anyone else. And I will get on board with bells on if it's anybody else. Except for maybe Tulsi, who doesn't really Except for maybe Tulsi. Yeah, that's not. You know, she's the one person who you forgot about that's still running. Everybody else isn't. (laughs) Right. So to start in the middle, yes, we can do better than Bloomberg. But to start at the beginning, you have to go back and see why Bloomberg is even there. And I want to start with uh, Seth Maskett, who's, I think, just a, a brilliant political scientist who blogs and, and uh, actually goes to these uh, uh, events in Iowa and New Hampshire and places like that and writes about it. And uh, sometimes he writes for uh, Pacifica magazine. Sometimes he writes, in this particular case, for Mischiefs of Faction, which is a political science blog. And he had a uh, piece a day ago, which I think is really helpful in terms of setting the stage. And the title of his piece is Fine. Dems are in disarray. Here's why. And he starts out by talking about the fact that, look, you know, everybody always says Democrats are disarray. This time they really are. But let's look why. What makes this cycle so unusual? And there's two things that when the party, whether you're talking about the elites uh, or the uh, elected officials, the donors or the voters, Basically, there's two things that everybody looks at to see who's going to be my choice to run against, in this case, Donald Trump. And the first thing is, you'd like to pick somebody who could unite all the different factions of the party, or at least be, you know, the consensus, uh, you know, uh, ticks off the least amount of people. That's typically what parties do. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is, given that, you want the person that's most electable. And, And you can go back. To conservatives, William Buckley used to say this, vote for the most conservative who's electable because that's like what you do. Now, a couple of things about those two very simple sounding innocuous statements. As far as who is the consensus, uh, you know, ticks all the uh, boxes and hits all the buttons, we don't have one. Yeah. Uh, Because each one of the candidates we happen to be running this year are flawed in various and sundry ways. And if you're looking at it in terms of generational change, no matter how non-corporate, non-centrist, non-Bloomberg a Joe Biden is, he's, uh, you know, 173 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and there's people that just do not feel comfortable with that. For whatever reason, they feel comfortable with Bernie, who's the same age, or Elizabeth Warren, who's 70. And there's people that don't, even them. And so they're looking at people like Klobuchar is 59 or Buttigieg, who's in his 30s, uh, and just looking around for somebody else. Now, uh, Bloomberg happens to be also uh, in, in that particular age group, but that's 
part of the reason why a Joe Biden isn't acceptable to everybody. Yeah. Well, okay. I think there's a lot more going on with Joe Biden than his age. Yeah, we could chime well, you, in. You, uh, that's that's one factor. Yeah. You can pick nine factors. You can pick 27 factors. My point is there's no consensus candidate. Yeah, that's right. Fair. And yeah. and Biden or, or Amy Klobuchar is being pushed by the media as the moderate people who really would be able to unite the party. And in fact, they can't because there's people who don't like them. Yeah. So there's no consensus. And then the next part is, okay, well, what about picking the person who's most electable? Well, we all know that nobody knows what electable means. But in this particular case, we have a special reason for not understanding that. And that is the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's no consensus about why we lost. And because there's no consensus about why we lost, there's no consensus about what we need to fix that loss. Everybody has a different theory about why we lost, and therefore everybody has a different idea of what's electable. Oh, well, Hillary Clinton lost because she's a centrist, therefore you can't have a centrist. (laughs) Oh, well, Hillary Clinton lost because of Comey. Well, that's got nothing to do with being a centrist. Mm -hmm. Hillary lost because she's a woman. We can't run a woman this time. Mm -hmm. Hillary lost because she had the foundation. That means we have to have somebody who's like totally clean. But each one of those is different, and there's no consensus about which one of those is correct. If there were we'd have a better consensus about what electable means. But because each one of those is a completely different path, we have completely different ideas about who's electable. And so we have no consensus about who's a consensus player, and we have no consensus about who's the electable person. So naturally, we're in disarray. That's why it is what it is. And that's the stage that Bloomberg looks at and says, I can make use of this. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have that, he wouldn't exist. Well, I will chime in real briefly and say that the electability thing is really frustrating to me because it's such a self-fulfilling prophecy, this cycle, it seems like. Um, Because remember, for months and months, it was Biden on top, Biden on top, Biden on top, until he wasn't. And now he's almost like people are considering him also ran, although he's not gone and, and, and dead yet, obviously. And I think what most frustrated is... He might even do well in a week. Yeah, know? he'll do fine in South Carolina and, and maybe the rest of Super Tuesday. But what really frustrated us about the Bloomberg thing, I think I can speak for us, is that you know when he all of a sudden showed a pulse and, and jumped up in a few polls, we were getting all this, oh, hey, look, if it's Bloomberg, you better get on board instead of like... This Let's is- make it not Bloomberg. Yeah, exactly. Let's make sure that doesn't happen. Well, I didn't see much of the you better get on board. What I saw is a lot of warning about, listen, you got to take Bloomberg seriously, which is not the same thing as you better get on board. You have to take him seriously. Don't ignore him because he's going to be a force. Mm -hmm. And if you let him sneak up on you, you'll be screwed. Again, that's not the same thing as you better get on board. There were people that just wanted to ignore him and say, oh, it's impossible. You know, it's ridiculous. He's at 3%. No way. But that's how people like Trump sneak up on you. You do have to pay attention. But I'm not hearing that. I mean, I'm hearing that also, but I'm also hearing this vote blue no matter who. You know, he might be the Trump of the Democratic Party, but at least he's not as destructive as Trump. And uh, it's almost like throwing your hands up and being like, well, I guess he's our guy. And I'm like, I he's not my guy. He's <laughs> well, not no, my guy. He'll never be our guy. But again, you have this chaos and you have this disarray and then Bloomberg shows up and the polls say... He's maybe third, maybe fourth. And the polls say he's got as good a chance of beating Trump as anybody. Why is that? Because generic Democrat running against Trump is going to do the same no matter what. It really doesn't matter which of our candidates we run. And that includes Bloomberg. That includes Bernie, who is electable. You know, the fact of the matter is that uh, 
Donald Trump is running 43, 44% head to head with the Democrats, whoever it is, generally running 47, 48, a few points ahead. That doesn't mean they win. That was a very nice uh, uh, reminder yeah. uh, by some of our pollster friends that on the one hand, polls this far out don't tell you that much. And on the other hand, 2016 was the most accurate polls this far out in years and years and years. So they tell you something, even if they're not totally predictive. Mm-hmm. Fact of the matter is everybody's competitive and we don't know what electability means. And given that, Bloomberg has as good a chance as anybody against Trump, but no better than anybody against Trump. So the idea that you have to get on board because he's the one that can beat Trump isn't what I see and it's not what I'm hearing. It's more like if people want to vote for him for whatever reason they do, he's just as viable against Trump as, as anybody else. But is he better than the people that we have now? For a gazillion reasons, no. However, he's not worse. So you got people who say vote blue no matter who. And that's what started to happen when his name started to pop up. What happened in reaction to that? People of color, especially journalist people of color, said like Charles Blow, for example, or I.J. Bailey, came in and said, look, you can't vote for this guy. Stop mm-hmm. and frisk and what he did to our kids, unacceptable. And then Laura Bassett had a lovely piece in GQ uh, pointing out the sexual harassment stuff that Elizabeth right. Warren put to great effect during the yeah. debate last night, picking on his NDAs and saying, this is a guy who really doesn't stand for anything the Democratic Party stands for. Even Pete Buttigieg threw in. And by the way, he's not a Democrat. Right. So for all of those reasons, uh, that the, the uh, debate last night turned out to be a rather powerful reminder of why Bloomberg wouldn't be the first choice. At the same time, uh, opposition to him does get so over the top that people start comparing him to Trump and saying, well, he's just like Trump. He's not. He's slightly better. Okay. But he's a little a bit better. There. Like a little bit better. And look, I'm for harm reduction, right, in elections. So I will always vote for harm reduction. But this is a far cry from the level of harm reduction that we could potentially do. This is a racist, sexist billionaire from New York City who isn't really a member of our party, um, running against the racist, sexist Republican, we have an office, like, maybe he's not a lunatic, which would be better, right? So harm reduction, I will vote for this man if you make me. But then, this is not my Democratic Party anymore, if he's who we choose. If we choose that the values that I believe are at the core of our party don't matter, then, like, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah, and here's the problem, Greg. When you're talking about millennials, democratic millennials, we're the ones that are that are always trying to, you know, hold the fort down and keep people from bailing and keep people from the party from at least in our age group from splitting. And, you know, if we if we're fed up, if a Bloomberg rises to the top of our party. And and while we realize it would just be out of desperation to beat Trump likely, that's still it, oh, we're fucked. It as a sets party. us. It if sets we, us back. Travis so and I far. don't want to be Democrats anymore. Like, uh, yeah. Good luck talking to the to the Bernie people and yeah. the young people that are, you know, trying to get involved and 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 trying to find trying. We're trying to convince that this party stands for and cares about what they care about. And Bloomberg blows all that up. Yeah. And says, here's two different flavors. <laughs> of gross, sexist, racist plutocracy, you know, pick your poison. So so here's another uh, way to look at it. 
And that is that not only is Bloomberg not the choice of the Democrats, which I think last night's uh, extremely well-watched debate uh, showed people. We had uh, over 19 million people watching. It yeah, was like World that. Series territory, the third uh, most watched debate ever, the first two being Donald Trump's first two debates. Wow. Um, so uh, a lot of people watched and got to understand that Elizabeth Warren dismembering uh, Bloomberg and having him for lunch represents where democratic values are. Right. So I'm not that worried about that. And the other side of the coin is that in the off chance, in the horrible situation where Bloomberg became the nominee, he would be totally beholden and constrained by the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Unlike Trump, who brings the Republican Party way off the beaten Republican uh, track and makes them into a cult, Bloomberg's the opposite. Nobody likes him in the Democratic Party. Therefore, he can't bring them anywhere. They would force him uh, to do standard Democratic things because he really wouldn't have any choice. He'd be more like Romney running in Massachusetts as governor than he would be uh, Donald Trump running as president. So I don't worry about it that much in regard to uh, Bloomberg. Personally, what he personally stands for is abhorrent, which is why I don't think he'll get the nomination. But on the off chance that he got it anyway— because people said, well, you know, uh, blue no matter who, I don't think uh, he would turn out to be a Rockefeller Republican the way he governs because I don't think the Democratic Party would let him. But that's, that's, not something not we can, party. that's not something we can sell to our peers, not in a million years. That's a different issue than what is. Right. Fair. But, but that's, that's our point. That's what we're most concerned about. I mean, I'm concerned about all of it, right? Like, he clearly is a racist guy. Um, yep. Clearly, is a sexist guy, homophobic yep. guy, right? Yep. So, <clears throat> and he's got a lot of money and throws it around and thinks that's okay. Yeah, like none of these. My mom even, it's a sixty-eight-year-old Republican, <laughs> was asking me about this last night, and she said, "Doesn't he seem sort of antithetical to everything Democrats stand for?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, ma, yes, that's exactly <laughs> but, correct." <laughs> but all Democrats say that, so that's why it's hard for me to see how he's going to win. Now, that debate that nineteen million people. Plus, watched last night. Well, Bloomberg has commercials for the people that didn't. And so one of the things he did with his money is create a uh, video of what didn't happen last night yeah. as if it did. And then he's playing that. That's what a lot of money can bring. Mm-hmm. And he'll do that. He'll get his votes. But I, at the moment, I don't see him getting the nomination by any stretch. And if it turns out in the end, it's Bloomberg versus Bernie then uh, even those of us who have Bernie issues, I think, are going to wind up with Bernie over Bloomberg and then Bloomberg over Trump in that order. Yeah, that's true. I just think that it sends a message to progressives and people like me that, like, if this is the person that we choose against all odds just because we're in this weird, aberrant election year where we just have to beat Trump, that... We did what we criticized the Republican Party for doing, which is to say, we don't actually stand by any of those values. We don't Mm -hmm. actually care about any of the things we said we cared about. This is our candidate. This is who's going to represent our party. Like, that is a deal breaker for a lot of us, and myself included. Like, if that's who the Democratic Party is, and I don't think it is, but, like, that's a really harsh sell for my people. You know what? And let me give you my get-off-the-lawn view of that. This is what happens when you don't let the party decide. You didn't want the party to decide? 
this is what happens. You go back to 2016, you don't get a consensus about how we lost, this is what happens. So it's not a surprise that somebody like Bloomberg would come into all the chaos and try to make the most of it. If you let the party decide, and he's not a Democrat, he's not on the stage. If you don't let the party decide and let the people decide, well, you know, uh, who is it, H.L. Mencken? You know, democracy is uh, what the people deserve, and they should get it good and hard. But the party in this case is backing him, right? We changed the rules to allow him on the debate stage. The other candidates like Elizabeth Warren wanted him there to expose yeah. him. She's the one that asked him to be there. You know why? Because you saw last night why. Yeah. That's not the party changing the rules for him. That's exactly what didn't happen. And those kind of accusations about what happened in 2016 are exactly what didn't happen. And because those, and, and I get passionate about this, Go because ahead. allowing that nonsense about rigged elections and stuff like that to happen is how we wound up with this. Well, we're actually with you on that. And, and we have butted heads with the Bernie people over and over trying to get them to understand that you perfect know, example you know whoever is ahead with the delegates should be the one declared the nominee yeah this year was that what he said four years no, ago? no of course not no, of course no he not. said the opposite four and, years and ago. we criticized okay, him about cool. that but none of that mattered with the hardcore bernie supporters but exactly we'll, it's all politics but yeah. you know don't take that seriously what frustrated us mostly was that look at how he got trounced with people of color and Hillary just won and they kind of refused to listen to that or just not believe it or whatever and now he's doing much better with people of color um, which is why he's the front runner at the moment but it was yeah. and you know it, things it, have gotten so bad that I think uh, people are willing to step back and look and say you know even some radical change is uh, perhaps not so scary because it's just awful the way things are mm-hmm. I get that and that may be in the end why the Democratic Party nominates Bernie fine that's the will of the people. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But, you know, if you, if you have chaos, and I said this about Trump in 2016, he's the chaos agent. If you let chaos in, then all sorts of stuff happens that you don't have any control over, that you don't like, but, you know, you crack the door open and let that in. And so allowing that kind of chaos uh, is how Bloomberg got here. And that's why I think how, why he's here is at least as important as who he is. Sure, he doesn't belong in the Democratic Party. Yeah, he shouldn't be on that stage given his values. But the reason he's there is because the Democratic Party, including Democratic voters, allowed the chaos to happen. Okay. Hmm. That is a take. Uh, do you have any more That's a take. Thoughts? But it's also, some, it's also you can, something you can tell to people and try to explain to people. Now, uh, I've got kids. They are millennials. They have to talk to their friends who aren't interested in politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's really fascinating stuff out there about how a lot of this is going down. And let me give you an example. Uh, And this is just hot off the presses. So I'm just uh, scrolling through my stuff for tomorrow. Here it is. This is an NBC report that I'm about to send you so you can take a look at. And it's about the holy grail of politics. The people that don't vote. Right. Okay, And it's large majority of non-voters plan to cast ballots in November, new report finds. This is the Rachel Bidikoffer theory of politics, that partisan, uh, negative partisanship is so strong that uh, people get off the sidelines because people don't vote for things, but they sure do vote against things. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, you want to vote against Mike Bloomberg? Come out and do that. You want to, you know, see what Mike Bloomberg's about? 
turn, tune in. Lots of people did last night. So this report says both pro and anti-Trump attitudes are motivating factors to vote in 2020. 19% supporting the president, 22% against. I'd rather have the higher number. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that 19% who weren't motivated to vote for Trump in 2016 are now super extra motivated? Did they not? They weren't sure he was going to be racist enough? Like, what? <laughs> that doesn't, that is hard for me to fathom, but I'm Nearly three quarters of habitual non-voters plan to cast ballots in November election, according to a first-of-its-kind poll in this block released by the Knight Foundation. The report entitled, The Hundred Million Project, The United's The Untold Story of American Non-Voters, surveyed 12,000 persistent non-voters who are disengaged from the political process and the effect this group could have, and they define chronic non-voters as those who aren't registered or had voted only once in the last six national elections. Now, you, like me, probably have not the most frustrating time with talking about why this person's better than that person or why this should matter. It's speaking to your peers and getting them to vote at all and be part of the process. That's the frustrating part. Now, 41% of qualified voters didn't cast ballots, but... If this poll is anywhere close to being correct, even if it's half correct, having that many more people become part of the process is an amazing thing. Why would they want to? Usually they figure their vote doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. This year they think it does because they they see it's going to be close. So close elections really help to motivate people because all of a sudden your vote matters. If everybody knew that Florida 2000 uh, you know, it was going to be decided by uh, 500 some odd votes, a whole lot more people would have voted. They didn't know that, so they didn't. But right. this year, they get the impression that it's going to be close. That's what everybody says, so let's see what happens. I mean, certainly in the last four years, there are many different categories of people that I interact with that were sort of apathetic to the process or like, you know, just didn't really care and like, maybe I'll vote if I get around to it. And especially middle-aged white women um, that I interact with were sort of activated by Trump's election. Um, And I think most certainly will vote. I think a lot of them already voted, but just, or like, they just weren't really engaged. They just like, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But the election of Donald Trump really like made them go like, what are we doing? And that showed up in the midterms. Yeah, yeah. Um, Among my generation, I think there's more um it's not apathy at all it's sort of just hopelessness it doesn't matter like yeah. it doesn't matter who the president is the system itself is so corrupt and and so broken. fundamentally broken um because of the system that we were given particularly economically like my generation sort of just goes okay like what are they going to... No, nothing's ever going to change for me, right? Like, I, I'm in this with my peers, but, like, those people, those folks in Washington, like, it doesn't really matter. And they, and they don't care about us, is what they say. Right. They don't care about us, and I try to tell them that's because you don't vote. But, right, um, it's a chicken and egg thing. <laughs> well, we're not going to vote until they show they care about us. Well, they're not going to care about you until you vote. And right. so it's a stalemate. Right. So this year, it seems like at least those voters are being reached, that the the news is just so pervasive that a lot of these folks just feel like they don't know enough to really make a choice because they don't get any news. But you can't avoid the news now. One thing about social media is that the news follows you. Yeah, and so much of it is fake. And also, I think that idea that it doesn't actually matter is not true and has been really proven by President Trump in this way that's like – 
Oh, it does actually matter. Like, look at all of these horrible things that are happening and all of the all of his policies that are really affecting like people in your community and people that you care about. And so it's maybe become more of a of a it's less easy to say, well, it doesn't matter what's happening in Washington because they don't care about me and more of a like, oh, my God, there's children in cages. Um, That's horrifying. Right. So I'm hopeful that that's true. But I also. Well, when you reach them, when you reach them, I mean, this is looking at Gen Z voters. It says here in the NBC News report, they're the least likely to vote of any age group, less interested in politics, and less likely to view more Americans voting as a good thing. But 38% said they just don't feel like they have enough information to choose a candidate. 41% are more likely to vote for the Democrat and 19% for Trump. This is the group that Democrats would like to motivate to vote. So it's kind of encouraging. John Delavope over at the Harvard Institute of Politics, who follows uh, younger voters in his uh, spring and fall surveys, points out that in, in the 2018 midterms, uh, they were the one group that uh, voted more than any other in the past. And uh, if you're looking for swing voters who wound up uh, throwing the House to Democrats, that's the group. So younger voters can vote and will vote when they're motivated. That's a different issue than uh, you know, why Mike Bloomberg is there. Would Bloomberg depress that vote and make it so like, why should I even bother? Because look yes. at the choice. Probably. Yes, absolutely. I can tell you. Yes. Can, can I speak from a little bit of experience here? Like I hear you and David talk all the time about, you know, Bernie has to prove that the younger voters are going to come from younger voters don't vote in primaries. They just don't. They they and certainly not friggin' caucuses, right? Like they prefer a candidate. They know who they want to be president. They they don't show up for primaries. They don't show up for municipal elections. Uh, they don't. But but I could see. And there's no way to prove this. And there's there's no way well, to, people, to know this. But people used to say they didn't vote for midterms either. Except they did. They showed yeah. up in 2018. Yeah. And yeah. I get it in terms of Iowa. You can't look at the turnout in Iowa and say it was down and we didn't get new voters. Therefore, that means. Something. It right. actually doesn't mean anything. It means the Iowa caucus was so poorly done that nobody wanted to participate because they couldn't figure out how to do it. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's fine. The uh, uh, New Hampshire uh, primary actually had some pretty decent numbers turn out. Mm-hmm. But and Nevada looks like it'll be big new, too. But if you're looking for new voters and claiming that you have new voters and your thing is having new voters, you kind of – have to produce new voters. That's an issue for Bernie more than anybody else because he's the one that says that that's my my whole right. uh, strategy for winning. That's what so he it's keeps not saying. Unfair. Yeah. That's right. So it's not unfair to look at him and say, okay, well, how did you do? It's not that you know we expect young voters to turn out in droves. There's a whole lot of people that are going to vote in November that will not vote in the primary. You're right. right. But if you say you can bring them, then show us that you can bring them. The fact that he couldn't bring him, which is was why he didn't win Iowa outright. Yeah, and a Bernie supporter would say, "Well, look at the rallies." Like, okay, well, well, that's the interesting thing, right? And this goes to exactly your point. They'll come see the guy and hear him talk and be a part of this like experience, and then none of them primary, none of them caucused. Right, and and none of that matters. <laughs> Al Gore had tremendous crowds. You know, part part of the thing about crowds is where does your campaign want to spend the money? And if you want to spend the money on getting a big crowd, you can spend the money on getting a big crowd. That's not the same thing as, uh, you know, a ground game. A get out the vote. Right. Yep. So if you have limit, you know, Bloomberg has unlimited amounts of money. Everybody else isn't like that. 
So if you're in the situation of limited funds, you have to decide where you're going to spend your money. Mm -hmm. And most candidates don't want to spend it on big crowds. But if you're losing, that's a good thing to do because it makes it look like you're doing better than you actually are. Well, on that subject, there's a great segue because we are going on Sunday to see Elizabeth Warren in person who's going to be here. And we would like to talk about. We what already is, voted for her, by the way. Yeah, yeah, our votes, <laughs> our votes, banks. Uh, but so, we, so are six hundred thousand California votes, by the way, yes. which is more than I win the Hampshire combined. Right. Well, yeah. We would like to talk stupid. about the erasure of Elizabeth. Yeah. Did she? Um, was she's an invisible woman that suddenly magically won a debate that no one wants to talk about her? It's it, it's insane to me. The number of polls that have been done that just don't include her at all. The number of news stories that I've heard and watched where they talk about the first place, the second place, and the fourth place. Or the first place and the, you know, they just, it's like she doesn't exist. She's the invisible candidate who somehow is also in like the top two or three if you poll for her. It's maddening. Well, sort of. Sort I mean, of? I, not, yeah, not so not, much not maddening good, for you? Not so much mad. Look, if you finish third or fourth, I don't expect you to be mentioned at all. This is always about three tickets out of Iowa, two tickets out of New Hampshire, and that's the mindset that people went in with this. But that's not and how they're covering it. They're covering she, three or four candidates, and she's not one of them. She did terribly in Iowa. She did disappointingly in New Hampshire. Those she was are the third, facts. right? If I had to pick somebody. Who I, you know, you put, I don't have a candidate right now, but if, if you, and I, I haven't throughout the primary because I'm one of those people that would rather wait and see what happens and not decide early. But if you put a gun to my head and said you'd have to pick somebody, I'd pick Warren. So I like her. I like her policies. I like her as a politician, but it doesn't surprise me at all. She's not getting covered. She hasn't done well up until last night. She had plenty of coverage back in the day when she was, you know, I got a plan for this. And they made some mistakes. Some are, are self-inflicted. Uh, but I don't think it's a, uh, a policy of the networks to try to ignore her. I think the NBC poll that left her out was stupid. That was I don't, just a really stupid mistake. But I don't think it was a deliberate let's not talk about her. Oh, no. I don't think it There's is either. I think it's implicit stories. bias. I think it is absolutely that she is not i don't think it's intentional and i don't think it's a policy i think it is implicit bias that she is a strong candidate that she is a woman and they just well, don't consider stuff, her to be that that to that to be true because she's a woman i really do not think that it's a policy i do a think lot of, it's implicit a lot of the bias. stuff that should have been hers actually went to klobuchar in fact, the slot in the NBC Wall Street Journal poll went to Klobuchar. Klobuchar was the new kid on the block, the new story, the, the person who was ascendant by surprise in New Hampshire. It's not, I, in other words, it's not surprising the media would pick up on that. That's kind of a shiny object. That's kind of hard not to chase. So, you know, it's not that uh, they're only doing the men. So I, I don't know. I, so I the think NBC that, poll was just dumb mistake yes. that nobody really. But that's the point, right? Nobody really thought about it, and why? Nobody really. Who's thought in about that newsroom that didn't think spots. about? I want a poll for Elizabeth Warren. Who's it's not, not in the room? room. It's that not said, the newsroom. It's the pollster. Okay. The news only covers what the pollster says. This is what happened. It went online. She wasn't in the poll in the sense of looking at the head-to-heads, which is only one small segment of the poll. But she wasn't there. People started screaming at Mark Murray as if it was his doing. He didn't do it. 
the pollster didn't have her, so he didn't list it. And so, you know, that's how this whole thing snowballs, and that's what drives me nuts. The mechanism is it was the pollster. The pollster screwed up. They Who's paying the pollster? The, the networks are paying the pollster, but right. they don't tell the pollster what to do. Yeah, but the same the same thing applies. Who's in that room full of these pollsters? Who 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 has decided? Well, it's not worth including Warren Just on these head to heads. Think about it. Just didn't even consider her as a person that was running for president. And I think it's wrong. And I'm telling you, yell at the pollsters, not at the media for how they cover it. They covered what the story was. She wasn't in the story. Okay. Right. And and so, what do you mean by a race? She wasn't there. Why wasn't she there? Because the pollster screwed up. And because people noticed it wasn't there, everybody started, you know, uh, saying why. And uh, the pollster actually had to come out and make a statement about it, which is good, just the same way that uh, Ann Seltzer had to come out and make a statement about why the Iowa poll didn't come out. So when the pollsters screw up, it's like it's really super visible. But it's their error. And they're the ones that should be blamed. Okay, fair. Not, I the, also not, think, not the rest of the media for somehow ignoring her. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think that there's a lot of media that I've been listening to where don't tell – like, I don't need you to do an entire news story about Elizabeth Warren's performance in Iowa or New Hampshire. But yep. if you're going to do a news story about – put a the, graphic up on the screen. Don't leave her out. Don't leave her out. Right? Don't mention everyone else and not There's her. One, two, three, it happens seven. constantly. It happened on NPR the other day, and I was like, really? We're just going to skip right over her and go to fifth place? Like, it's maddening. And I, you may not notice it, but I do. It isn't a question of noticing it. It's a question of looking where she stands and saying, you know what? She really didn't do that well. And a lot of that is what She did better this. than people that were mentioned is the point. They shouldn't have been mentioned either. Is well, my that's <laughs> not my point, Right. If you're going to mention someone who did less well than she did and erase her, that is where erasure comes in. You're going to mention other people that did less well than she did and pretend that she doesn't exist, then that is the fault of the media for doing that. And it is crippling to her campaign because people forget about her, right? Well, that's why people get mad because it's not helping her. But then again, it's not helping her and crippling because she's behind. Well, you know what? I I think they did her a bit of a favor because we're pretty pissed off right now, us Warren supporters. Yeah. Um, And and, 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 and it doesn't make us multiply. But if, if they really wanted to erase her, she wouldn't have been the top story yesterday, but she was. Okay, let's not give them credit for that. Let's give her credit for that. And it's not them giving her some sort of present that she didn't earn. She won that debate by being really good at debating and taking apart this awful man. They covered it because they had no choice. That's not something they gave to her. Well, the other side of that coin is when she didn't do well, they didn't cover her. So, you know, fair is fair. Now, there's a a local columnist here who's very funny. His name is Colin McEnroe, does local news. But he, every once in a while, does a national story. And he had a column uh, last week about the, the great uh, political scientists who really uh, explained to the public exactly how this democratic debate is being uh, and democratic primary is being covered. And he said these great political scientists were the ones who wrote the theme song for Gilligan's Island. Right, the five. Mm-hmm. The five people, right? Because the, the brain only has room for five. Mm-hmm. And NBC, for whatever reason, Wall Street Journal decided to poll head-to-heads for five people. And why five? Why not six? Why not seven? Because five is, according to Colin McEnroe, what people remember. And so when you have six people, when you have seven people, and you got to pick which five do I want to cover, 
you're going to make mistakes and you're going to get people ticked off. And I think that's what happened. But some of it is because she hasn't done as well as everybody expected her to do in the first two elections, in, in the first two uh, caucus primary states. And and that's that's part of it. And, of course, that's got people upset, too, because she's a much better candidate than a Michael Bloomberg. Yeah. But... It's definitely not because she's a woman, though, right? No, no, she just better. <laughs> oh, Greg, that's just that's she's just, just silly. That's good. just silly. But people don't vote on policy. I mean, I, you know, they never have and they never will. And when you don't do well, you're not going to get the same coverage as when you do well. But they do vote. Now, on, they do vote on gender, Greg. I mean, they, they, oh, they, sure they, they do. They just do. And you know, they even in our party, we absolutely we, we deal. You know, with and that. that's part of the reason why Hillary didn't win. But then we get back to 2016, and what were the real reasons for why we lost, and what do you have to do to correct that? And again, if there's no consensus on that, you're not going to have consensus on you know the right path going forward. So I'm not saying that Elizabeth Warren is getting totally fair treatment compared to everybody else. Mm -hmm. I'm saying part of it is because of her performance. And part of it is because the media cannot handle more than five people at a time. They can't even handle three. Okay. And so we're But if she's in the top five, then should she not be one of the people on Gilligan's Island that we have a name for? Yes, and I am upset that she's not one of the top two, but she isn't. Okay. And so, you know, that, that, that annoyance about, you know, I would like to tell people how to vote. I wish they would make better choices about voting. I wish that uh, on every single poll you look at, she would be ahead of Michael Bloomberg. You know what? She's not. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break, Greg. Uh, Can you hang with us for a little bit? Absolutely. Okay. We're going to take a quick potty and so forth break, and we will be right back to continue this conversation with Greg. Did you have something in mind you wanted to pivot to? No. Okay. So uh, I should remind everybody that uh, if you want to look at uh, ticked-off voters, I don't think there's any more ticked-off voters than uh, Kamala Harris voters. And rightly so. Rightly so. Yep. I mean, talk about uh, you know being erased or, or not where you really should have been. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, look, I'm not a fan of Kamala Harris. Um because of her record um, mm-hmm. as she's a cop um, but I also think that she was judged on that and should have been but there's also Amy Klobuchar right who's also 
a former prosecutor um, who has not had her record torn down in quite the same way. Um, and I think they're rightly upset about that. I also mm-hmm. think we should talk about how the party, you know, the, the, the nominees came from this incredibly diverse background and last night was just a bunch of old white people. And Pete Buttigieg, who's also a white guy, right? Before any vote was cast, we went from a bunch of people of color and women to two white women and a bunch of white dudes. Old white dudes. Old white dudes. With the exception of Pete. Mm-hmm. Very old white dudes. Right. And what um, does that say? It says that uh, they didn't have the backing to continue. Now they're they're you know everybody's different. Everybody's got a different story. Uh, Cory Booker, for example, uh, I look at Cory Booker and say he could have been a consensus candidate who could have done really well, except that uh, I think charter schools killed him. Charter schools, really? I think that his uh, his support for charter schools and his non-support from teachers and other folks who really passionately cared about that was one of the reasons why his candidacy didn't go anywhere. Hmm. I think the frustrating thing for me about this is that there's always seems to be this lens through which we want to filter things mm-hmm. that doesn't have to do with, quote, identity politics, right? So. Elizabeth Warren's erasure was because she wasn't doing well. And Cory Booker's erasure was because he was in in charter schools. And, like, there's that, but there's also the idea that she's a woman and he's a black man. And, like, there are those things that I think matter. And to people in those communities who are not white men, we perceive and feel those things much more acutely because that is our lived experience. So saying that Cory Booker is not a viable candidate because of charter schools is like, I don't buy that. Well, you know, people didn't buy his candidacy. He couldn't raise money. And, you know, you you didn't have votes, but you did have polls. And you got to produce. I mean, if people felt that he was going to be a more viable candidate, he'd still be here. You know, the same is true with Harris, you know, and it's and look, this is a tough business and I'm not in the business. I'm not a politician and I'm not a consultant and I'm not a, uh, you know, campaign advisor. But you got to do well in order to stay in the game when you got this many people. Somebody was going to have to drop out. There wasn't room on the stage for everybody. Right. Of all the different candidates, if you're going to look at policy, uh, Julian Castro is is. By far, I think, the best candidate that didn't go anywhere, and uh, not for good reasons. No. But he didn't. Well, everybody got very upset when he went after Biden, supposedly. Um, I remember that the press really didn't let him sort of get over that one, and I don't know. Uh, Same with Harris. Yeah. You know, and uh, but then again, I had plenty of voters and non-media people tell me that they didn't like it either. And, uh, you know, it's when you think you're going to win, <laughs> yeah. then, then you got to be perfect. And when you think you're going to lose, which is, you know, the polls getting closer, uh, Trump skating on uh, impeachment and stuff like that, then you get a debate last night because now the people who are voting in the primaries on the Democratic side want all of a sudden a fighter, mm-hmm. you know. And so, again, it goes back to 2016 and, w- and what I said earlier, you know, we uh, set up. 
uh, you know, so many uh, talk about uh, lenses that you look things through. We set up so many different barriers and hoops that you have to jump through that no human could actually get to the end unscathed, you know, and I think it's pretty horrible, actually. But, you know, that's what we do. Okay. Well, can we talk about electability and what motivates voters? Sure. Um, And and this is why I want to say what Warren did last night is actually, I think, can only help her. Um, and there's been some pushback from that from people saying, oh, well, she should have gone after Bernie. This doesn't really help her. It helps Biden. Of course it helps her. What do people want more than anything? They want to beat Trump. And, and what gets them excited? Going after uh, Trump and more than, going after bullies and attacking and showing that you're a fighter. So how can what Warren did do anything but help her? Now, it might be she's too far behind anyway, but – you know, I, I don't understand this, and I think this goes to this larger argument that we heard. What what have we been hearing for months and months and months and months and months? Oh, we we talk to people, and they don't want to hear about Trump. They want to hear about health care plans, and they want to hear, you know, about jobs, and they want to hear about schools. And yeah, I'm sure people tell pollsters that, and I'm sure they tell reporters that. But if that was the case, wouldn't Warren be ahead by a landslide because she's got a plan for everything? You know, and when does she finally get attention? When she goes on the attack and shows some life. Uh, and 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 like, and you look at the opposite when you look at Trump, right? And we hear our father, and we ask our fathers, "Why do you like? Why do you like this guy?" Or what? And even my dad, who didn't vote for him, said, "You know, when he talks, there's just something. It gets it gets me. And what it gets is that like, you know, he's a white guy and." You know, he talks about how great white guys are. <laughs> but, hmm. you know, the thing is, it's why why did Trump do so well despite him being an idiot who doesn't know what he's doing and horrible? Because of the way he made people feel. He made white people feel good about being white people without being ashamed of being privileged or that that doesn't exist, well, right? That's what I, that's what I mean about people don't vote policy. Yes, exactly. You know. You absolutely positively have the best policy on the Democratic side. That's easy because there is no policy on the Republican side. It doesn't matter or it didn't matter uh, because they vote for something other than policy. They vote for this vision, if you will, that uh, or the way Trump makes them feel or whatever it is you want to say about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Elizabeth Warren is getting great press today. Uh, I sent you a couple of the New York tabloids. I love them because they have their pulse on what's going on. And both of them were were uh, pretty awesomely bad for Bloomberg, mm-hmm. and and uh, good for Warren. People are talking about her. They do like a fighter, uh, and she managed to do a bunch of subtle things last night that I think were beyond just taking on Bloomberg. She started the debate by taking on Bloomberg as the obnoxious, sexist billionaire who happens not to be Donald Trump. That was that was brilliant. And set the tone for the entire debate and made everybody watch. But at the same time, she wound up defending Amy Klobuchar on forgetting the name of the Mexican president and doing other things that were, you know, basically team player kind of stuff, which I thought was also subtle, but brilliant. Mm -hmm. So do people want to fight her? Do they want policy? They want to fight her. They want somebody who can beat Trump. They don't know what that is, but that's what they're looking for. And that's why we've had so many different people at various times uh, you know, be the front runner. And uh, you could have a situation, as somebody pointed out today on Twitter, I forget who, maybe David Wasserman, that you could have a situation where 
you got six different candidates winning states in, in the first, uh, you know, three weeks of voting yeah. of the Democratic primary, which is pretty amazing. That's not typically how it happens. Mm-hmm. So uh, where do we go from here and how does Elizabeth Warren get positive press? I, she has to keep doing what she's doing. There's another debate in a week. There's another uh, uh, caucus in less than a week. So there is that opportunity. But, uh, you know, the press is going to hone in on Bernie, which I think they should because, you know, he's doing well. And they should hone on Bloomberg because he's doing poorly and they should help him do even more poorly. And then there's a third story somewhere in there and they'll have to decide who it is. Maybe Warren does deserve that. Maybe, you know, Pete and Amy will have done what they did in the first two states and that's it. And they're not a story anymore. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do all that well in the debate. Maybe they don't, they don't get that attention. And that would be totally appropriate. I disagree with you, right? So, like, the media then is deciding who is important, right? So... Warren's well, getting to. all this good press because she won the debate last night, um, mm-hmm. and that's great. Um, but are we saying then that whoever the media decides is the most appropriate then gets the most coverage, and then that's who our candidates are? That's their business model, except for the last part. I mean, they certainly decide who to cover. <laughs> that's what they do. That's their business. It, you know, it's not that it's it's their business and they should. It's that's what their business model tells them to do. So nobody should be surprised about that. That's what they've been doing for the past hundred years. Now, the voters will decide who's the best candidate, not the media. But not if they don't have exposure to who all the candidates are. Right. Like not if every other day we're talking about Bloomberg and Bernie and no one else, even though he's performing less well than other candidates. Well, the other candidates are also going to disappear. And so Elizabeth Warren is not alone in that particular category. So, you know, they're all in that boat. And uh, one of the arguments about what Elizabeth Warren should have done yesterday, which uh, I happen to agree with uh, Travis about, is that I think she handled it right. I think she stepped back. She looked at the situation and said, I'm looking at the polls. I'm looking at the coverage, but mostly the polls and the votes. And... There's two lanes. There's Bernie and there's not Bernie. Mm-hmm. And Bernie's 30% and not Bernie is 70%. And if anybody can win or consolidate that 70%, they have a decent chance of getting back in the race. And so what she did last night is take on the 70% and pretty much leave Bernie alone, which is probably smart because I don't think you're going to convince Bernie voters to move from Bernie to Elizabeth. <laughs> no, they already... A lot of them They've already really made their decision, don't like her, right? So, or say right. they don't. So, well, whatever. But but you know, so there's not there's not a lot you can get out of that. The eighty percent and the twenty percent rule, you know, uh, is spend your time getting the eighty percent because the other twenty percent is not going to happen. So you know that that part of what she did made a whole lot of sense. I don't think she should have gone after Bernie. She didn't, and I think that she handled everything right. And that's why consensus this morning, which I think is growing as the day goes on, is you know she won the debate. Does it matter that she won the debate? Debates don't usually make a difference in terms of who people vote for. No, That's but true forever. Did this one be somehow different? We'll see. But Ra- Rachel is right, and, and and her point being that this erasure happens. It's not a conscious decision, but Im- implicit bias is there, and it, and it does affect people. And I think it also kind of 
to borrow a phrase, trickles down because you even have you know there's young women we talked to that said oh well i i can't you know i'm worried about warren or i can't vote for warren because you know we'll never elect a woman you know trying to remind everybody that like well we did by like three million votes and this weird again going back to my thing point happened, but, what went wrong in 2016 and if that's not settled then this stuff creeps into 2020 mm. yeah Right. Well, I mean, it, it is it is endlessly frustrating, though, and and I think what we would like from from everybody is a little bit of acknowledgement to say that you know that that bias does exist, and um, you know Elizabeth Warren has faced it, and, and there are things that Elizabeth Warren has faced that are unique hurdles because she is a woman, and yes. And, and that was true before she ran, and that was true during the fact that she ran, and now we're seeing it. And where do we go from here? Well, I think where we go from here— I mean, nobody, it, nobody should be surprised at this, right? I mean, if you said, oh, this is going to be the election that women are not going to be at a disadvantage, nobody was saying that. Yeah. In so fact, we just any, shouldn't care? I'm not saying what we shouldn't care. The question is, what can we do about it? What should we do about it? And what should we expect? And not every single thing that happens in terms of Elizabeth Warren's coverage fits in that category. I think holding the media accountable is something that we can do about it. Sure. All That's I'm trying to say. Plug, you right? know, and, and, and we do our best to do that. And not excusing it away as it's not because of that. It is in part because of that. It is in part. It isn't in acute, uh, excusing, right? There's nothing right about it. There's nothing fair about it. But I'm not here to tell you that elections are, are typically right and fair. They're not. Okay. I mean, the, the question is, you know, how do you overcome that? Because that bias is there. There's no question about it. And I think that if you had more diversity in newsrooms, and I think if you had uh, uh, more uh, – you know, female uh, uh, directors of politics at stations and less Chuck Todd's. I think that a lot less of this could happen. But I also want to, you know, get to root cause. And again, if a pollster screws up, then don't be yelling at everybody else. Yell at the pollster. That's that's where the root cause problem was. And so uh, there's other parts of this that are clear bias and stupid. And there's other you know, none of it is, I, I think you're right, the, the bias is uh, below the surface, it's subconscious, not intentional, except on Fox News. And so you, the best thing you can do is bring it to people's attention, which is why the pollster had to basically apologize and explain what was going on instead of just ignoring it, which is typically what the case is if nobody brings it up. So sure, you know, be on their back all the time. I think that that's one of the things that uh, we do. That's one of the things as bloggers that we do is get on the media for for uh, screwing up. And there's a lot of things that get screwed up. And this is absolutely one of it. On the other hand, what I'm saying is that, unfortunately, it's it's built into the system. I mean, it is. It has been. It's not new. And it's incredibly frustrating now. But, you know, I don't think anybody was pretending we had gotten rid of that bias up until this point okay uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about why the idea of Bernie becoming the front runner scares the crap out of me um, and I'll remind everybody that we were Bernie supporters we were Bernie caucus captains we were the whole nine yards um, and then 
everybody, all our peers kind of lost their minds as we got, you know, further down the road. Um, but those people never left, and they've become sort of more strident. And um, I don't know that they necessarily know how to win, and the, some of them don't necessarily want to win. They just want to fight. And now Bernie's well, a front runner, and they don't know how to do that or be that. I might even put it a slightly different way while agreeing with you. Uh, to me, the problem is that they are built very well to win the Democratic primary, mm-hmm. but I am not convinced that they are built very well to win a general election. And in the end, you know, that's where we need to go and that's where we need to be. And, you know, the thing is that I, I don't, you know, over uh, get over angry about people online who are Bernie supporters. You know, I don't even know who they are. Uh, are they trolls? Are they real? I don't know. Yeah, what bothers me are paid surrogates. Yes. You can't excuse them. When your press secretary starts making stuff up, you can't excuse that away and saying, well, we don't even know that there are people. Yeah, that drove me crazy because making stuff about Bloomberg, there's plenty in black and white there's that we so can attack much you Bloomberg don't have to on. Make anything up. And don't when you lie, then the story is the lie. That's exactly right. Once you it means, you, it means you suck that, at your job. <laughs> well, once you are known to not go with the facts, then you can't trust anything yeah. else that you say ever. Yeah, it's mad. And that's the situation that they're in right now. And I think that's awful. Yeah, and you even wonder if, if Bernie would consider some campaign staff shakeups, but I guess not because he figures he's winning and it must be going right, you know. But so I, I I fear that I think he is electable. I you know I can actually envision a situation where he wins the White House and we lose the House. Yeah, that seems highly unlikely, but I guess yeah. it's possible. In which in which way that he wins the White House or that we lose the House? Well, that both those things happening concurrently just it's would seem to be a stretch. Americans love split voting. They you know? d- they do, but if if Bernie wins, it means the people are showing up that <laughs> would tend to vote the down ticket the same way, at least enough that we'd hold the house, you know. And, and let me ask you why you would assume that. And and what I mean by that is let's say he does bring out new voters. Mm-hmm. Let's say he does. Let's say he does at least enough to win his election. Yeah. If they're coming out for him, why would we assume that they're therefore going to also do down ballot uh, uh, voting the same way? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's a fair point, but... Um, Are you assuming that they're not going to vote or that they're going to vote for Bernie and then a Republican? Uh, not going to vote. I mean, I, I could see people coming out and say, okay, I, I'm interested in him. This is who I'm going to do. There were a lot of people that left it the other way in the last election and voted uh, down ballot and left their presidentials blank. Yeah, you know, that's People true. do that. People do that. Bernie, you would think that Bernie and his surrogates, although because I don't trust them because they're not very good at their jobs, would you know make it clear enough that if you're not voting down ballot, then Bernie's not going to be able to do anything you want him to do. But, you know. Well, what if the one of the attractions is that he's an independent, not really a Democrat, and so how does that make you all eager to vote for Democrats? Yeah, I guess that's fair. But then if you're voting for Bernie, you're voting for radical change. You're not voting for status quo. So there you are in a, uh, let's say, a, a purple district, a, a, a Max Rose district in uh, Staten Island, mm-hmm. or uh, a, a Connor Lamb, or a Abigail Spanberger, or a Mikey Sherrill. Uh, so if you're there to vote for radical change... Who are you going to vote for? 
the incumbent mm-hmm. or the non-incumbent. I mean, I, I don't know the answers to these, but I just don't assume that, okay, well, if they do show up, they're all voting down straight ticket. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. You know, the other side of the coin, they, we were talking about the non-voters, the habitual non-voters, and they make the point of saying, I really don't feel like I have enough information about these candidates. So, okay, I heard about Bernie. I show up, I vote for Bernie, and now I'm looking at my uh, representative for that. I don't know who these people are. I'm not going to vote for him. Well, you know. Isn't this a problem that has been the problem of the Bernie Sanders candidacy since 2016? Is that he is not only not invested in the Democratic Party, but has sort of sown some dismay among his supporters about the Democratic Party establishment and incumbent Yeah, now he wants to lead representatives. And so I think you're right that, like, he's not well, good at this. He's not good at putting your finger on something that bothers me. So, yeah. you know, when we look at what happens in this election, I just think, you know, my, my motto for this election is nobody knows nothing. Not me, not anybody else. It's really hard to predict what's going to happen. Um, you know, Warren isn't out of it. Biden isn't out of it. A lot of stuff can happen between now and two weeks from now. Although, after Super Tuesday, I think we'll have a pretty good idea where this is all going. We should, yeah. Because it's so, it's so heavily front-loaded. Yeah. Well, I mean, after the debate last night, where I think we're in a different place mentally, Bloomberg has been exposed. Yep. And, and it would be weird at this point if he kept gaining traction. But weirder things did, have did happened. Did we give credit to the person who wanted him there more than anybody else? And that would be Elizabeth Warren. I mean, that was, that was, she was the one that was pushing for this. And it turns out that was really strategically smart. Yeah. Well, I think that she is really smart. And because of what his strategy has been up to now, which is don't do any press, don't do any um, interviews, right? Buy up all of the party money. So he's been going to like major Democratic donors and saying, I want you to support me, but I don't want your money. Just don't give it to anybody else. Uh, paying people as surrogates to just like talk nice things about him, papering everything with he just has so much money that well, eventually he has to become a candidate and she understood that like he has to become a candidate by actually answering questions um, and yeah, so if right. she was it's, the impetus it's... behind that then I think that makes her even more brilliant. His strategy was uh, <laughs> let's not engage in the first four states and then do my ads and by the time Super Tuesday comes and I have a whole chunk of delegates by the time you find out about who I am it's too late so uh, she exposed that and actually I think uh, eviscerated not only him but his strategy so it makes you wonder why did he even show up <laughs> I mean, uh, like he felt, he felt like he had to uh, okay yeah, I, I don't get, think yeah. he wanted to. I don't, you know, if it were up to him, he would have skipped it. But uh, that would have looked even worse. I, I think well, strategically, yeah. it was a really bad idea for him yeah. to show up. Yeah, he actually, in the end, given what happened last night, he probably would have been better skipping it. Yep. Trump's not going to, I don't think, show up to any debates. Um, um, if it's against Warren, he certainly won't. Um, yeah, maybe against, if against Biden. Biden yeah. Maybe he won't. I disagree. <laughs> I think if it's up against Warren, he absolutely will because it's outside of his frame of reference for who he sees himself to be to imagine that he couldn't win a debate against a woman. Well, you're probably Pocahontas, right? right? You're probably right. He would show up just to say that and then sort of get surprised that like, wait a minute, that's not the only... She gets to talk too? Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah. I don't think he could be convinced that he couldn't win against her because she's Pocahontas. Well, and he's he's Trump. He, he can do whatever himself, he wants. That's right. If he convinces himself, there's no way of stopping him. Certainly, there is nobody capable of telling him don't do that. Mm-hmm. But he's also very insecure and scared. Yep. So and she's uh, a mean lady, and yeah, yeah. He can only like you know. I, I could see him just running physically and intimidate her so much and like say like Pocahontas seventeen times so much that like <laughs> then she actually gets some barbs in and whew, thin skin. Yeah, yeah. Although you know, as you were saying, you know, this morning, Greg. I mean, Hillary eviscerated him more or less in the debates, and didn't matter. It didn't matter, you know. So uh, again, uh, there's. Are we picking the person who can debate him the best? Well, well that's I what everyone everybody... kept saying about Kamala Harris, and I'm like, yeah, but that's not. That's not it. That, that alone isn't going to do it, Mm-mm. you know. Well, here's the. But go, going back to Bernie, like we remember, the Bernie people, the core of his supporters are our peers. They are, they are people we work with. They are people we go to concerts with. They are people we date. They are people we know. I mean, you know, we know these people pretty intimately. And, you know, if Bernie, if, if Bernie goes off, if the candidacy goes off the rails, it's not going to be because Trump called him a communist and it's not going to be because Tom Watson said he's a socialist and that's terrible or David Frum or whoever. It, it's going to be because his people, his core supporters and his surrogates – turn everybody off or, or isolate themselves and put Bernie on an island and say, we don't, we don't want you on Bernie Island. This is my big concern about the general. Like, I think to Greg's point, I think he could win this primary. But once you have Bernie as the nominee for the Democratic Party, what then? Like, does he have to work with the DNC? Does he have to work with the Democratic Party? Does he have to work with these operatives? Does he have to go more center? And then does that piss off his primary supporters? And he they will hate go him? center, I think. He'll I have mean, to moderate. And then all these people are just like, well, fuck this guy. He was a joke all along. Or are they like Trumper, Trumpers? Or he'll and pick they a just... centrist-ish running mate. But, the, but, uh, but are, are, these, are these, uh, Bernie's core, Bernie. are these core people that support him going to continue to support him the way that sort of Trump supporters support him shooting people on Fifth Avenue or not, right? Are they going to do that and make excuses for him turning a little more to the center? Or are they going to throw up their hands and he's not pure anymore and we don't like him? And then we lose that base. I don't know. Well, the, the thing about Bernie, his strength is his weakness. He is who he is. I mean, it's not a show. It's not, it's not fake. He is absolutely authentic who he is. Yeah. And who he is, you know, it's Larry David. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were Bernie, who would you pick as your running mate? Larry David, because I think it would be absolutely the best show on the year. It, it, it would, but in, in, in real life, you know, I would love him to pick a Stacey Abrams. I don't know he, that he would. He would never pick a Stacey Abrams. Ugh. You know, I show. would hope he'd pick uh, Julian Castro. I would hope he'd pick a Kamala Harris. Yeah. I think he needs somebody of color. He'd be better off with yep. a woman. Yep. Um, but I think that his choices are limited. And I think that uh, picking somebody from his own camp would be a disaster. And I yeah. don't think that uh, uh, Sanders Warren would be smart. No, I'd love to see it, but you're right. It, it wouldn't. But they don't always make the smart choices. Like, what, well, that's true. Like I was listening to our podcast. I mean, he could pick Tom Eagleton. <laughs> you could pick Mike Gravel. I, w- I was listening to our podcast four years ago, and we said, you know who the worst possible choice is uh, 
politically for Hillary Clinton to pick is Tim Kaine, although it makes sense for her to do it. And who did she pick? She picked Tim Kaine. Because it made sense for her to do it. And it brought... It, it brought her nothing. It brought her absolutely zero nothing. Zero things. It's zero. It f- flat line at best. Mm-hmm. And... No. He's not a terrible guy either. No, he's, he's fine. He's boring. He's, he's just boring. boring as fuck. She was like kind of a boring, even though she would have been the first woman in, you know, ever. Like people saw her as, you know, boring, centrist, typical politician candidate at best. A lot, that was a lot of people's view. And then who does she pick? A boring, centrist ish, run of the mill, milk toast, white Democrat establishment guy. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, who's Bernie going to pick? You know, would he be crazy enough to um, put Nina Turner in that role? Uh, yes, and that would uh, be a disaster. Uh, Complete, utter disaster. Then it would be 1972. But, you know, hopefully he won't. Yeah, hopefully th- he'll pick a Kamala Harris and say, look, you know, let's just unite the party and do the best we can. And I think he is smart and pragmatic enough to do that because, like, like I said, unlike his most ardent followers, he wants this. He wants to be president. He doesn't just want to fight. He wants to win. And I don't know about his most ardent followers. I really don't. And I think at the end of the day, they will, lit- they will literally pull out the Susan Sarandon and tell you, like, if we can't keep this the, the purest revolutionary form, we'll just let everything go to shit and then the revolution will rise out of the ashes. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. And, like, what they're really good at is being the underdog and being against the establishment. But when you become the establishment, then what? When you become that thing that you've been fighting against and the underdog against, and that is your platform, that is your fire and passion, then where do you go? Then you really want all of the superdelegates to vote for you if you have the most votes, but Mm -hmm. not a majority, you know? And so we're seeing that. And, uh, you know, I, I I, I don't totally know the answer to what you're suggesting, uh, but I think we're going to find out because right now he's the front runner, and so yeah. we'll see what happens when he gets the nomination. But he hasn't got his surrogates in line yet, and at least they've sort no. of concentrated their fire on Bloomberg in the past week, which you know makes sense. They've Can literally up until that? a week ago it was still Hillary Clinton, but like you know they're still spitting fire in every direction. <laughs> so the, he needs to rein them in and get and and start acting like a front runner. Or yeah, but I think that sours his people. If you act like you're going to win, then, like, who are we fighting? But you know what? They are so sycophantic, if that's a word, that I think he can risk that. Remember, every time he does something that seems like an anathema to him, like, they excuse it, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's uh, going on Joe Rogan mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, supporting something. That, and they, they, they excuse it away. They find an excuse because they're sycophants. Right. And I think they would – most of them would probably do that for a Kamala Harris or – Tacking to the right on certain things, they do that with his gun stuff already. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like we bring that. Oh no, it's fine. It's Vermont. It's different. You don't understand. It's like no, you're you're making excuses now. No, it's fine. It's all white people, so they're allowed to have guns, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Like we. Oh man, like we we being former big time Bernie supporters, and of course we're still supporters if he wins a nomination. But like. Nobody has done more battle with his supporters than we have, and it is incredibly frustrating. It's exhausting. Yeah. But again, like, Bloomberg changes the whole deal for me. I don't give a shit who it is. No, he really I has. I really don't completely, care. Like, we completely. just kind of sat down and looked at each other, and we're like, yeah, Biden Biden's so fine. bad anymore. Biden's fine. Bernie's fine. I'm telling Mayor you, Mayor Pete's best fine. Thing. Mayor Pete, who is literally the anti-homeless rock painted as a rainbow, is fine. I don't care. Just not this guy. 
just not Bloomberg. That's Bloomberg it. is the best possible thing for Biden, at least in terms of his legacy, given I don't think he's going to win. I don't think Biden's got much left in the tank. I really don't. I heard that yeah. he's never placed higher than fourth in any primary he's run in for president. Uh, you know, he's, he's not great at this. No. So why are we <laughs> salivating about this person who's just never been very good at this? As though he was going to become better at it and then he just proves us wrong? Like, he's not the guy. Yeah, now he's, he's not just president. way he's, older. Yeah, and a little more, I don't know. Older. Yeah, yeah. So that's all you say. I don't mind old people, but you know, I like you to be good at what you do. I mean, Elizabeth Warren's seventy. Would you know it? No, well, exactly. You, well, there's a Bernie. different. There's a different. There's a seventy for some people, and then there's a seventy for other people, and they don't always look the same. Yeah. Well. So uh, there you have it. That's, yeah. that's pretty much the whole summary. But again, I think you know, to me, since 2016 was roiled and never settled. 2016 was a direct leading cause, root cause of 2020. You know, World War One caused World War Two, right? Yeah. And you know, that's this is one of those situations. If we had more clarity about why we lost and who to blame, and therefore understanding what happened, then we'd be in a much better situation to say, okay, this is how you fix it. We didn't. And so nobody, now there's no consensus about how to fix it. And that's why we have what we have right now. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good summation. Uh, we do appreciate you coming on. We, we will very likely reach out to you again before the election for some more clarity or just to argue with you. Or, or, yeah, or, I mean, even in four years, because then I'll be even older. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah. I'll, I'll be even more, you know far away from uh you know what, what comes after gen z yeah uh do we, do we start aa again i don't know <laughs> probably they're gonna need to be drinkers by the time we get done with them seriously yeah this is assuming that four years from now we're not all in re-education camps or right or working in uh trump tower as servants or you know or working for michael bloomberg yeah <laughs> god <laughs> Great. Well, that's uplifting. Um, anyway, thank you, Greg. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to the pundit route of tomorrow. Of course, you can hear Greg Dorkin um, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, usually on KGRO in the morning and occasionally with us. And um, thanks again. Thanks, Greg. Greg. Oh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. You know, I, as you probably know, if you listen to the podcast that I do with David, you know, part of the shtick is I always get to interrupt him. Oh, let me just throw that one thing in here. Mm-hmm. Mike Bloomberg being a New Yorker is a big deal. And for me, who grew up in New York, I totally get him and I totally get Donald Trump. But being from New York doesn't always play well everywhere else. That's right. Yeah. Those it, New Yorker values Ted Cruz likes to talk about. It's Coke, the way you talk. Jewish. It's, yeah. it's the way you uh, make fun of your sarcasm, everything. It just doesn't play well outside. You're in Connecticut. I mean, I have to explain to people all the time. I'm interrupting you because I'm listening. Right. right. I'm not being rude. Right. So we all show love, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Constantly. Yeah. So I constantly love David because like, I'm always constantly interrupting. There's actually a technical term for that we learned that I've already forgotten. But it's uh, something about the cooperative speak or something like that where, you know, when you talk with each other. And you and Rachel do it. You know, uh, you interrupt each other because that's the natural flow of things. Sure. Yeah, we do. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And I don't 
usually get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different story. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, guys. Thanks for thank having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. We'll talk to you again soon. Uh, this has been a special edition of Irreverent Testimony. Uh, I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. Stay active, stay tuned, stay involved, and uh, talk your aunt out of voting for Bloomberg, for Christ's sake. For God's sake. All right. No march. <laughs> All right. See you later.